We're getting towards the end of our early church series as we've been looking through the book of Acts. and So far, we've talked a lot about the early church, a lot about how they acted, what they encountered. And this week and next week is going to wrap up our series through this book of Acts. And we'll be looking at the final two chapters. So today we're looking at chapter 27. Next week we'll be looking at chapter 28. And then that will lead us right into Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And then a series about the life of Jesus to follow that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of excited for today and today's message. Because I feel like this is an important message for someone in here today. It might just be one person, and that's fine. Uh, maybe that person's me, because it was really significant in my life this past week. Um, but we're going to look at Acts chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught in the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Calda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard and they passed the ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground and on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent beating from the storm. The next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's own tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone for a long time without food, Paul stood up and before them and said, Men, you, have sh you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have found faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. If you would pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I, I pray that you speak through me as you always do and as you always know how. Lord, I pray that you would just touch each and every heart in here because all of us face storms. All of us face times where life just doesn't seem to be going the way that we'd like for it to. But Lord, teach us today that we can trust in you. And, and thick and thin, we can trust in you in the middle of sunshine or in the middle of storms. Lord, I pray that you just make your presence and your word known to us today. Lord, open up our hearts to receive your message. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you call, follow college basketball at all, you know that Kentucky plays this afternoon. 
Um, some of you, you know, I've got my in-laws here, you know that IU also plays later tonight. Um, but you also know that this is March Madness. And there's a reason that they call it March Madness, because Purdue loses all the time. So since Purdue lost, it's just madness now, because everyone had them advancing beyond the first round. But throughout March Madness, there's this thing that um, my family on this side, not necessarily my side that you guys know uh, very well, uh, but we do the bracket challenge. So you fill out a, a college bracket, and you fill out, you just guess, right? You can have all of the information you want to. It's all just guessing. But you guess which team you think is going to win and all the way to who's going to win the championship. And throughout this, people bet money on these games. There's sports analysts that devote their entire lives to figuring out who's going to win the first round, who's going to win the second round, who's going to win all of these games. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with this challenge, there is 20, over 20 million brackets that were filled out this year, and none of them are perfect. In fact, after the first day, I think there was only like 200 that were left that were perfect. And then after Purdue lost, no one. Like, no one was perfect after that. Um, and it was awesome to watch them lose to a team that shouldn't have been in the tournament in the first place. <laughs> but... Um, all of these sports analysts, uh, it amazes me because they go and they gather all these information. They, they, it's their job to watch game film, to see the weaknesses, to see the strengths of each team, and see how they might match up. But ultimately, no one ever gets it completely right. No one ever gets it and, and wins that. But each person, each team, has some level of confidence going in, thinking that they can make it all the way, that they can win every single game. But have you ever wondered, if you've done this before or even just hearing about it now, wonder what it would be like to know the outcome of every single game? To be the first one in the history of the tournament to actually fill out your bracket 100% correct. You'd make a lot of money. I can guarantee you that. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to look into the future and see, well, Purdue's going to lose first round? Or... You know, whatever other, uh, that's just the most significant one. My in-laws are here, so I'm trying to make them feel better because I, I dog on Indiana a lot here, and you guys know this. But um, if you could go back in time, even to last year, and refill out your brackets to where it'd be perfect, how much differently would you watch games, especially the close ones? How, how differently would you walk throughout life? throughout the tournament. You'd have much more confidence, wouldn't you? You're like, well, I know that they're going to win. It's not just I'm guessing that this person's going to win or this team's going to win. I know that they're going to win. It's like a story that I heard from another pastor. A husband was watching his football team while his wife was getting ready, and they are about to go visit some family. And the team he wanted to win had, was two touchdowns behind. They needed two touchdowns to win, and they had less than two minutes left. Now, just like every single greatest comeback story you've ever heard they come back and they win the game in the final seconds the final touchdown pass makes it he catches it with very few seconds left on the clock and they win the game now shortly after they won the wife came down after getting ready and said well it's time to leave so we can go visit our family now when they get in the car she's frantically finding the radio station that the broadcast is on and she finds the rebroadcast and as she's 
listening to the rebroadcast, she starts getting stressed because it's down to the wire. There's two minutes left. She's already lost all hope. And the husband looks at her and says, I bet we win. And she says, well, you're crazy because we're down two touchdowns and we have two minutes. There's less than two minutes left. There's no way that we're going to win. So he just smiled. And, and as, he's, as they're listening, as they're going along, they get the other touchdown. Now they have the possession back and they're, they're making it up the field and the wife is just so anxiously waiting for this next play, this next time where, where the goal or the touchdown is going to be scored. And the, they make the touchdown pass. And they win the game because this is the rebroadcast. And then she looks over at her husband and she says, why didn't you seem worried? Why, why didn't this phase you at all? It was so close. And, and you know, what if you would have missed that catch? Then all of it would have been lost and we would have lost the game. He said, well, I already knew the outcome. You see, when we know the outcome of our lives, we live our lives very differently. We don't live as worried. We don't live in fear. Instead, we live in confidence, unfazed and unshaken by what life throws at us because we know the end result. When God promises something, we can have faith and trust that no matter what, we will get exactly what he's promised us. When we look at Paul in chapter 27 of Acts, we see that he has the same level of trust in God and is unshaken by life circumstances. The chapter begins with Paul sailing towards Rome. Now, if you remember from last week, he knew that he was going to have to stand before trial before Caesar in the court in Rome. So he already knew that. He knew that, uh, and he begins sailing towards Rome. In the opening verses, they've been sailing along the coast, and as they're sailing along the coast, they're having a lot of trouble because the wind is against them. It's pushing them in all different directions, so they're trying to stay near the coast in case something were to happen. They could just quickly go to the go to land. But because of this, they lost a lot of time. They're going extremely slow. They're way behind schedule. And the sailing had become dangerous. And Paul warns them in or in verse 10, he says, "Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo and even to our own lives." But the ones in charge, the centurion, the the pilot of the ship ignored him because they did what they thought was best, which was to sail on for just a little bit longer, try to get to the southern, um, southern part of Crete, which was called Phoenix, not the one in Arizona. This is still on the other side of the world. And they're trying to get there because it's wintertime, and they don't want to be caught in the winter storm. So they're, they're trying to go a little bit south, just like, you know, if it's cold here like it was today for some reason, then, you know, you go south towards Florida because it's supposed to be warmer there. Not always, but it's supposed to be warmer there, right? So they're trying to go to the southern part of this island so that the winter isn't as harsh and they can dock there, they can stay there for a little bit. So pay attention very closely. Verse 13 comes and it says, a gentle south wind begins to blow. They saw their opportunity, they weighed the anchor down and they sailed towards the shore of Crete to this uh, thing in Phoenix. There is this gentle south wind. Now, logically thinking, this makes sense. If there is a small, gentle south wind, like the whole time that you've been sailing, 
I don't know how many of you have sailing experience. I have zero. I'm just kind of thinking logically about this. If wind is what pushes you forward, and there's a wind coming from north going south, and you're trying to go south, it makes sense that you would want to take up your anchor and start letting the wind carry you down because that's the direction that you're going. Paul is saying, wait, don't do that. But they're like, but there's a south wind. This is our opportunity. We're going to go. So they, they start going. But then a strong wind, like a hurricane, swept down from the island and knocked them off course. They began to struggle throughout the narrative. They struggled to keep the people and the property alive. They're violently battered from the storm. They throw the cargo. They throw all of their gear just to keep the boat from sinking. They're like, if we can lighten the load, then maybe we'll float up. We'll, we'll be a little bit lighter, and it won't be as bad, and we won't sink. And for several days, they couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun as the storm raged on. What this means is that if you're out on open water, your only source of navigation at that time was seeing where the stars were and seeing where the sun was, was rising and setting. And that was how they navigated where they were. That's how they knew where they were. Now, since the storm was raging on and they didn't see any stars, they didn't see any of the sunlight, they had no idea where they were. They didn't know what direction they were going in. They were completely and utterly lost. And in verse 20, Luke will write, we lost hope that we would even be saved. We thought that we would be stranded for the rest of our lives until we died on that boat. But Paul knew better. He looks at the crew and he says, you should have taken my advice. Then you wouldn't have lost so much. But I don't want you to be discouraged or afraid because everyone on the ship is going to survive. The boat will be destroyed. Don't get me wrong, the boat's going to be destroyed, but everyone on the ship is going to stay alive as long as they stay with the boat. The Lord told me I was going to stand trial before Caesar and that he's given me the lives on this boat. So keep your head up because I have faith in the God whom I serve that he's going to take care of me and he's going to take care of you too. And that's exactly what happened. The boat began to take damage and eventually they hit a sandbar and it was unable to move and it destroyed the ship and they had to jump overboard for the ones who could swim and the ones who couldn't they would grab planks off of the side of the boat and float until they got to the island but everyone was saved just as God had promised Paul see the difference between Paul and the others was that Paul knew the outcome he may not have known the whole story. He may not have known that the ship was going to be destroyed at the time that he set sail. He might not have known how they were going to get there. He just knew that they were going to survive. He knew that God was going to protect them. The others, on the other hand, didn't know what was next. They didn't know that they were going to be saved. They lost all hope already. And so they responded out of quick and maybe even practical thinking they relied on their own wisdom to get to where they needed. And they quickly found out that their wisdom was no match for God's wisdom. And it left them stranded. And I think there's so many times in our life that we're tempted to do the exact same thing. We're tempted to put our judgment before God's. Because we, we think that since we can see what we're seeing, we're making practical, logical decisions. But in reality, God is planning something even greater for us. And so we're tempted to put our understanding before God. And it's not that we shouldn't be practical and logical at times. There's a reason that 
when we were created in God's image, he gave us logic and reasoning and practical thinking, most of us. But it's because God is logical and he's practical. He understands, he knows, he's been here for eternity. But sometimes God's logic doesn't line up with ours. And that's because our logic is based on our short life that we have here on earth. His logic is based on eternity. Our logic is based on the information that we gather. God's logic is based on the information that he knows. When our judgment doesn't line up with God, it's going to be uncomfortable. Things might be destroyed in our life. And it may not make the most sense, but you always know what's coming next. And you can trust that God will always protect you for the promise of your next. But I want you to notice something. This gentle south wind in verse 13 kept sticking out to me like a sore thumb. Because it gave the people on the ship, all of the crew, it gave them just enough comfort to go against the will of God. Which Paul told them about. This small gentle wind gave them enough comfort to where they would go against what God had told them through Paul. And they started sailing on their own because they were using their own logic. And it gave them just enough comfort to put them on a destructive path. So I say that to say the enemy will always give you a logical way to escape the plans and the will of God. He did that with the gentle wind, but he also did it with this. During the narrative, they're in the middle of the sea, and Paul has now taken control of the ship. He's telling them what to do. He's directing them what to do. And while he's directing them what to do, there's a few crew members. They, they act like they're throwing the anchors over because he, Paul says, throw the anchors over. So he acts like he's throwing the anchors over, but they actually throw the lifeboat over. And they start to jump. That they're getting ready to jump overboard onto this lifeboat. And Paul looks at them and says, if you jump, if you go on that lifeboat, if you don't stay with us on this boat, you will be destroyed. Now, ultimately, what happens is the crew took him at his word. They cut the ties to the lifeboat, the last logical reason, the last logical way for them to be saved. But oftentimes, we're presented with that, and we want to jump the ship. We want to jump out of the boat because that's what seems like the right thing to do. But Paul is saying, hey, this, this boat's going to be destroyed, but we're going to stay together. But God, who's full of mercy and grace, he'll continue to protect those who call on the name of the Lord. So the storm that the enemy sends your way as you continue to follow Christ is always meant to destroy you. Satan is always looking to destroy you, but God will always protect you. His protection doesn't mean that you won't be shaken, that you won't be beaten, that you won't be broken, that you won't be exhausted by the storm that you're facing, but you will never be destroyed. It's like what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-9 through 9 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this, this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but never crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So as you're following the promises of God, you'll feel pressure. You'll be in despair at times. 
but you'll never be or you'll never be crushed. You'll never be destroyed. Now, I don't know um, how many of you have ever made a, or a clay jar or a bowl, right? We made them in art class, and it, mom probably has it somewhere on display in, in a nice little trophy case. Um, I thought it looked horrible, <laughs> if I'm being honest, but we made it in art class. But we had, to, we had to mold the clay, we had to press it down. But I, I see videos of like these little spinny things. That's the official name for this sermon, the spinny things that they put the clay on. And it spins around, they pour like a little water or something on it, and they start molding it. Now when you're looking at this process, I, I think this is so interesting that they use this hard press on every side because it, as they're molding it, they're having to press on it. And then what happens next, start getting the shape, is that they press either their thumb or a finger or something in there, and they start pressing on both sides. And once the jar or the bowl or whatever it is starts to take shape, they take like a little sponge in one hand and they, they press it on both sides as the spinny thing continues to spin and do its thing. I know it's not the correct term, but that's, that's the term for this sermon. So they have to press on both sides. You see, God never sends storms in our life, but he allows storms to happen. And when he allows storms to happen in our life, we're pressed on both sides, but it's meant to form us. It's meant to shape us for who we're supposed to be, who we were created to be. Just as the, the potter and the clay forms and makes the, the jar or the bowl into what he designed it to be. So God also does that with us hard-pressed on both sides, but never destroyed. But I think there's one more reason why God allows storms to happen to us. These storms in our life does something that makes us so uncomfortable and makes us want to avoid the storm, and that's why we often want to jump ship, and it's because it exposes our weaknesses. The storms in our life, the trials that we face, the circumstances that we face, everything that we deal with in life, whatever life throws at us, will expose our weakness. But I think God uses this to expose our weakness so that we can learn to walk in our weakness. As Paul is writing to the Corinthian church later in 2 Corinthians, he mentions about this being shipwrecked, reflecting, referencing this moment in his life in Acts 27. And in chapter 11, he talks about how he's been shipwrecked, but in just a few verses later in chapter 12, beginning of chapter 12, Paul wants, or writes one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, the storm that he was facing. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that he wouldn't understand the storm. He may never understand why the storm happened, why it happened the way that it did, why everything in the boat besides the people were destroyed. 
but he, he, he may not have known certainly why things happened the way that they did. But he boasted about his weakness because his weakness revealed the strength of God in his fragile jar of clay. If you think about how fragile jars of clay are, they're one knock away from a toddler to being just completely shattered, completely and utterly destroyed. And it's interesting that Paul and God will call us jars of clay, that we hold this treasure in our bodies like jars of clay, and it's because we're fragile, we're weak. But if you were to take a small little hammer and hammer just one small little hole into a jar of clay, everyone would probably look at that and say, well, that, that jar is weak. It's not meant to take that type, of, that type of pressure. It's not meant to take that. But if there's a light inside, that's where the light shines through. So in our weaknesses, in our weak points, in our fragile lives that are jars of clay, when we're broken, it reveals the light of Christ. See, Paul boasted in his weakness because he was walking in his weakness. He knew he was weak, but he knew and he had faith that God would fulfill his promise. And God will fulfill the promise that he has for you too. I don't know what that promise is, but he's got a promise for you, and he's got a promise for this church. I don't know the way that we're going to get there. I don't know all the cuts and turns. I don't know what storms we're going to face as a church, but what I do know is that God has promised me and he's promised you something great for this church. And he's done the same thing in your life. There is something great that God is saying, you're going to walk in this one day. You're going to have to face some storms. You're going to have to face some trials. You're going to have to face some difficult and hard decisions and life circumstances. But the end goal, the end of where you will be, will always be better than where you are. Because God is always looking for our best interest. He's always looking for our best need. So even though we are like fragile jars of clay, even though our life can be torn to pieces like a ship in the middle of the storm, the treasure we hold is the promises of God, the salvation that he brings. And that will always remain because we're not the ones that are holding it. He's the one that's holding it. So no matter how destructive or disruptive your storm in your life may be, some of you are facing some storms right now. Some of you are facing some hard things in your life. And some of you, you might not know what God has promised you, but I, I'm here to tell you that God has promised something better, that even unto death, we will be with him in eternity, in the new heaven, in the new earth, and earth, the new Jerusalem. And as we're starting to make our way and starting to refocus our minds on Easter. Our hope is in the resurrection of Christ. Not that Christ died, but that Christ rose again. And even though we all die at some point in our life, we die because of our sins, as a result of our sins, the hope that we have as Christians is not that we die with Christ, is that we experience the resurrection that Christ also did. Our hope is in the resurrection so even though our fragile jars of clay will deteriorate, they'll, they'll be broken and someday be buried, 
God will create something new. He'll create a new jar of clay, but a jar of clay that won't ever be broken again. No matter how destructive your storm is right now, keep your head up. Keep looking, keep your eyes on Christ, keep looking up. Because even though it may be hard now and your, your life, your ship, your, your boat is being destroyed right before your eyes, the things that matter, the things that God desires to protect in your life will always be protected. Everything else is just sinking sand. Everything else doesn't matter. What matters is what God protects in your life. So hold your head up high. For he's promised you something great. Though you're dealing with some, some stresses, though you're dealing with some really tough things, his promise is great for you. Hold on to the hope of that promise. He will give it to you.